All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy to prepare food order today 888-457-3453 888-457-3453 or go online at preparewithcr.com that's preparewithcr.com build your emergency food supply for only $99 limit two units per caller 888-457-3453 or online at preparewithcr.com that's 888-457-3453 or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV, and you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Wednesday. Thanks for giving me a couple of nights off post-election. We are back in the saddle again, ready to go here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, we are going to go inside politics with Daniel Horowitz from Conservative Review. And that's where I want to begin. And I'm going to get Daniel's take on this here in about 15 minutes as well. Because several of you have asked me, if I got to pick Donald Trump's cabinet, what would it look like? And I really only care about a handful of, of positions that actually, I think, wield real power or could rein in real power. And I also think it, when you are looking at many of the names, and, and I would caution everybody, by the way, I, I said this the day after the election, this is going to be a mantra I'm going to repeat repeatedly. Be very careful about overreacting 
to every so-called scoop. So I, I, I got away for a couple of days, and I, I went down to Dallas and uh, spent a couple of days with uh, Glenn Beck and his team, just sort of observed what they do, and also just kind of downloading with some people about you know where things go after the election. And watching the news cycle and the way the media handled the news cycle Monday and Tuesday of this week. So Monday it was all Steve Bannon at Breitbart. And is he an anti-Semite? Is he a racist? And is he going to be the Rasputin of Nicholas II, uh, Trump's uh, administration? And is Reince Priebus a chief of staff in name only? And and this was the media drumbeat all day long. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this. I've ne- I think maybe I've met Steve Bannon once. I think. I'm not sure. I believe he's interviewed me on Breitbart Radio a couple of times. That was well, well over a year ago and beyond. I and I've said this to you guys on the show before. I'd never heard of this alt right stuff until this this year. I, I'd never heard of it. Been all over the country. Never, I, I'd never seen a Pepe the Frog. I didn't know what any of this stuff was. I'd written articles for Breitbart. Heck, some of them still might even be up on the site somewhere. And whatever happened to that site this year with the whole Kim Fields assault and and Shapiro and Dana Lash and you know you may not like Dana Lash you may not like like Ben Shapiro nobody would say they're flaming moderates I mean they're they're two of us they're two of the best we got and they bolted that place I don't know what went on there but the stories I have heard are ominous. So this morning, we get a pitch from the PR team over at Breitbart about having one of their editors, Joel Pollack, on to get the other side of the Bannon story. So I said to Aaron, let's do this. And I know their PR guy because he used to be mine. And so I said, hey, I'm going to ask tough, skeptical questions, but I'm going to be fair. There's a proverb that says one man's side of the story seems true to hear the other side, right? So I wanted you in the audience to hear what the other side, because I don't know what the other side is either. I'm only hearing, granted, it's from people I have a lot of respect for and know, that, and I don't know Steve Bannon, but I'm willing to listen. If this guy's one heartbeat away from the presidency, I think we, we should know the full story, don't you? I do. Lo and behold, though, they tell us, no, they didn't want to do it. Now, Monday, though, that was the press's story. They, they were clearly trying to, to, to label Trump with Bannon. Didn't work, so they moved on the next day. Day two yesterday was, did Trump ask for national security clearance for his kids? And it was all on anonymous stories. Now, if you followed this campaign, two scenarios are very likely with a story like this. Because first of all, it's just asinine and beyond the pale to ask for your kids to have national security clearance. One, it is quite possible that Trump thought, hey, if my kids are going to be in the administration and he's never been in government, he doesn't know. So let's ask. And then when the when the story blows up to become a controversy, like, well, we didn't really mean it. We just, you know, we didn't know. The other is you'll notice the big one of the, the big story this morning is Pence, who's now running the transition team, threw all the lobbyists out. And they just came across the wires about 10 minutes before we went on the air that the Trump administration is considering forcing people to join it to sign a moratorium of becoming a lobbyist until at least five years after they leave the administration. Yes, please. I'm in on that. 
I need a cigarette. Yeah, so this is, so if you're wondering now, so where these anonymous sources are, put two and two together, they're probably a bunch of ticked off lobbyists who are not going to be allowed in. So when you look at Trump's unconventional, we'll call it, way of communicating, let me just throw something out there and, and, and let's just dangle it. And if it blows up in our face, then, hey, we never said it. It's not like he's above that. We've seen that a million times. Not to mention all the people he's ticking off right now. There is a cauldron of bad media journalism reporting, a witch's brew of this, just all over the place right now. So I I caution you to wait until they make official announcements or do official things before reacting one way or the other. But watching this transpire, I like a lot of what I'm seeing. But I have to, I have to say, that's also based on what my expectation level was coming in. So when we, get, when we talk to Daniel here in the next 15 minutes, he might say, ah, no, not so much, because my expectations were low, low. And so far... We've more than scaled them the first few days. I'm, I like a lot of what I'm seeing. But that could be relative. But, but let's say, let's go back three years. And, and let's say I made a different decision. When it was offered to me the chance to get into the ground floor of what became the Trump, or is about to become the Trump presidency, let's say I go ahead and do it. And by the way, I don't regret not doing it at all. Even knowing now how it's turned out, sure, I'm a guy, I've wondered how things might have been different, but I can't imagine, given my personality, Aaron, going out there and defending this for the last year and a half. I just, I, first of all, I'm not, and because of that, I'm not confident that I would have lasted had I agreed to get it on the ground floor anyway. It's just not my MO to go out there and just say things with conviction I clearly do not believe. Yeah, yeah, that was the first thing I was going to say. I, I don't think that would have happened. I, I don't think that. Uh, I don't think you would have uh, touched that with a ten foot pole, uh, if, uh, so to speak. But but let's say that I did, and and let's say that Trump therefore still cared about my opinion. Here are some things I would be recommending if I was in there right now, and I'd be recommending them on on the basis of of two poles here, uh, or two plumb lines. One is talent and capability the other is i know he's going to want to pick people that he thinks have done something for him or been loyal to him that's just the reality of how he rolls i mean what do reince priebus and steve bannon have in common nothing other than shilling for donald trump they have nothing in common at all all right so i take kelly and conway if he's not going to make her chief of staff i'd put her in charge of the rnc i think she'd do a tremendous job there tremendous and i know her she's smart as a whip and she believes in empowering the grassroots, and we haven't had something like that at the RNC in my time. It's one of the reasons why I'm no longer a member of the GOP. How about Newt Gingrich for White House spokesman? Could you imagine the daily airing of grievances that would be that 30-minute White House press briefing every day, roll tape, YouTube melts down? I mean, Newt has an innate ability to say things with great conviction he clearly does not believe. And to say them with great passion and purpose at the same time. 
he would melt those snowflakes in the Washington press corps. That would be worth the price of admission. Secretary of State, I think Rick Santorum would be a good choice there. I think Duncan Hunter Sr., the former congressman, would be a phenomenal Secretary of Defense. I'd put Rand Paul in charge of the Treasury. The Mercers, who are the, who are the Miss Havishams of Breitbart and are huge Trump supporters, are big sound money people. Well, let's make sound money great in America again. I put Bobby Jindal in charge of the HHS. I'd put nobody in charge of education and just line item it out. And yes, I think Ted Cruz would be the last son of Krypton as attorney general. You give somebody who is a rabid dog for the Constitution the power that Eric Holder had. And you talked about needing a cigarette. I'm going to go smoke one thinking about that right now. But we'll find out what Daniel Horowitz thinks about that and more in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Don't mind us. There's only the future of the country at stake. You're listening to Steve Dace. Let's go inside politics. Daniel Horowitz is here with us from Conservative Review. And Daniel, I was just expressing something that I have not let off this show with in many a moon, and that is I, I actually have been somewhat optimistic in, in what I have seen from uh, the uh, president-elect and his team uh, so far, although that is relative to the fact my expectations were pretty much uh, subterranean, uh, but you know, I'm looking at some of the stuff that we're printing today at Conservative Review, and I don't know, man. I mean, I, I'm I'm Mr. Sunny Side Up now. What's going on, Daniel? Look, you know, it feels good not to be ticked off every day for once. I, I just couldn't maintain that level of intensity every day, so I'm feeling the same sentiment as, as you. We didn't trust the guy, and for good reason. I still don't trust the guy, but this is what we're we're dealt with. You got to make lemonade out of the lemons you have. There's no other option we have at this point. He is the president-elect. It's not that anything has changed with him or with the Republicans. I mean, the Republicans in Congress, as we noted this week at Conservative Review, are doing what they always do. Um, but as, as it relates to Trump, I think the important thing that many of my friends who supported him in the general election especially always told me is that he is a blank slate. That's the point. He says different things every day. And you get the right people around him. Heck, maybe you could do some good things on a few issues, especially immigration, national security, the military. And I think the next few days and and few weeks will be telling. But I will say there's some good signs. I was putting together a video of four people that need to be kept out of the the administration, and it appears that three of them already bit the dust. Mike Rogers, Bob Corker, and Chris Christie. So, again, we're making some progress here. I want to begin with the two stories that um, when, when I was down in Dallas for the last couple of days, it was clear that this was the narrative the media was trying to drive about the Trump transition. And I want to get your take on them individually. One Day one was all about Steve Bannon. Now, I know you used to do some stuff for Breitbart. I did a couple of freelance things. I never I don't I maybe met Steve Bannon once interviewed me on the radio, including about rules for patriots. What he told me he read and he loved a couple of times. But there are people in our movement whose opinions I have deep respect for, like Ben Shapiro and Dana Lash, who who basically think the guy's the a dark lord of the Sith. 
what was your experience over there? Can you add? Because can you add anything? Because I tried to get they pitched me today, putting one of their existing editors on the air to get the other side of the story. You know, and you know, both you and I would book, read the book of Proverbs, and it says one man's story seems true to hear the other side, right? So I tried to get them on to give us the other side. They then, after pitching us, refused. What do you know of this man? You know, I'm always going to tell the truth. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. And I can only speak in first person what I know from him. And he's always treated me fairly. He's, he's really liked me. He's liked my work. Um, so I can't speak to some of the personal issues people have had with him. I, maybe they're true. I just – all I could say is I've never had bad experiences on a personal level. Obviously, I disagree with the direction he took the um, website in terms of you know promoting the homosexual agenda, this kind of secular – nationalism and this is that milo freak yep, show guy I, they have and i can't even pronounce his last name but instead yeah, of okay. this instead of constitutional conservatism um but i think in his heart he is all about burning down the system and and there's a lot of overlap with what we believe in i just don't think he's as grounded in the constitution in the direction where we should be heading as you and i are as someone like a mark levin is but i don't think it's all bad and, you know, again, we're not uh, talking about a president, a senator, um, even a cabinet member. It's it's his chief political advisor. Now, that's very important, but it's not an elected official. And I don't think it's all bad, certainly from a conservative perspective. I think on immigration, on national security, he'll be a, a, a bulwark against some of these uh, liberal appointments and liberal policies. And one other thing, the Democrats are making a huge mistake Nobody in the country has ever heard of Steve Bannon. You're not going to get them stirred up over him. I mean, maybe if you have a tough uh, cabinet appointment, you could get people excited about that. Nobody knows the significance of chief political strategist. No one understands that. No one has, has ever heard of. Well, Steve it's like Bannon. when we try. It's like when our side was trying to run against John Podesta for most of October, and look how that turned out. No, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. This is just too inside baseball. I can't believe it. All the senators are going on the floor. They think America is political Twitter. They just don't get it. Um, and, and, and this is the biggest thing about Trump. And, and I think, look, I'll admit, you know, I, uh, some of the mistakes we have made. Um, we knew too much about Trump's in the weeds political views, and they weren't good, and they were very inconsistent. But the thirty thousand foot message that got across to the voters who aren't on twitter and following this every second was that this guy was for america was for putting america first he sounded like he was for common sense he'd get rid of the system so i think there's a lot of opportunity to play off of that and channel it in the right direction my hope is that we can get him to focus on his strengths and kind of at least avoid some of the divisive um fights over his uh, liberal fiscal issues my concern is the appearance of splitting the baby in half with with putting Bannon in a in the in the back room almost like a Rasputin character next to Nicholas II while Priebus is out there as the official face of the chief of staff and now you've got this court of owls where they are sort of one is Trotsky and the other is Stalin each um, you know vying for the affection of Lenin to different aims to different means and it, and the, I think the last thing Donald Trump given his own persona needs around him is uncertainty within the chain of command do you think that's a legitimate concern that I have No actually I really don't uh, you, you know I have no love for for Ryan's Priebus but I think he's more I guarantee you I have even less 
I'm just saying he's more of negative uh, of a lack of energy, not negative energy. I don't view him as a cancer. Obviously, if you put him in charge of the RNC, yeah, I mean he's not going to be effective and certainly not going to push our views. But if you have an administration that is pushing in one direction, he is not going to row in the other direction. He's not a strong enough figure that's going to be whispering doubt in Trump's ears if he wants to um, go strong against refugee resettlement or build the wall, something like that. I just think he's there for the ride. He enjoys the power. Um, you know, he enjoys being relevant. So I, I kind of view him as a zero as opposed to a negative. All right. The day two story, the, the kids supposedly, um, you know, filed or, or wanted to see if they could get national security clearance. And then the Trump campaign said that's not true. Um, your read on that story, do you, my read on it is, I think Trump's going to throw a lot of crap out there, see if he can get away with it, and then when it blows up, deny it. And then I think you've got a lot of lobbyists who are ticked off at Trump right now because they're getting thrown out, who are just going to leak all kinds of grievances to the press as, quote, anonymous sources. I think we're going to have a very difficult time until things are actually finalized, knowing what's true and what's not in that environment. Your thoughts? You know, I've tossed a lot of bombs at Trump during the primary, even the general election, a lot of liberal things he said. And I think undoubtedly there will be many opportunities to come. But for now, I've come to learn the past week or so to give him the benefit of the doubt because a lot of these stories have turned out not to be true. I was concerned about a lot of the liberals in the transition. They all got canned, um, and we're hearing some good news. So, look, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think either it's a trial balloon or the media is making it up. But in general, it is probably the biggest personnel concern that i have his son-in-law his daughter and son-in-law they are liberal democrats and i just don't trust them daniel horowitz is here with us taking us inside politics courtesy of conservative review more with daniel here on the steve day show on the salem radio network next to Steve Dace. The time to fight is now always the Steve Day Show. All right, back here with Daniel Horowitz taking us inside politics here on behalf of Conservative Review. Here on the Steve Day Show on the Salem Radio Network. So I know we just said not to overreact to things until it's official from the campaign. But ABC News is reporting, reporting, Michael, I'm sorry, Daniel, that General Michael Flynn will be Donald Trump's national security advisor. If indeed that is confirmed by the campaign, your reaction to that? You know, I'd actually like to see him as Secretary of Defense, but I think there's some legal issues with that, given that he recently got out of the military i believe you have to wait seven years or something um so in in lieu of that um his background is in intel um so certainly he'd be qualified to be cia director director of national intelligence but i think there's a lot of other people who could fill that void what's more important in my view than some of the cabinet choices are the people directly around him that'll be responsible for domestic policy, economic policy, and national security. And I really can't think of anyone who has more stature that's closer to our views. I'm not saying he's a hundred percent there, but closest to our views than Mike Flynn. So that, that, that would be excellent news, but unex, you know, it's not unexpected because 
he he was with him from day one. Is this is this guy for real or one of these Fox News generals you're bemoaning all the time? Okay, I admit I I did have that suspicion for a while, um, but I I see he's remained pretty consistent. Uh, he definitely rode the horse. Look, let's face it, everything is quid pro quo with Donald Trump. Now. There's bad to that. If you have rhinos that have jumped on board, I'm hearing rumors about Renee Elmers trying to wiggle her way in there. And remember, she was the first member of Congress to endorse him. Um, But then, you know, on the other hand, you have Jeff Sessions, who he owes a debt of gratitude and he will pay that debt. And that will be good for conservatives. So I think in the case of Flynn, it's definitely a net positive. Um, I I just don't remember him standing up too much when he was in the service. Uh, but it's kind of hard with the culture there. Since then, he's been on message. He's written a good book. Let's give him a chance. What are you the most concerned about right now? You know, honestly, your concern about Ryan's Priebus, that's my concern about Ivanka and Jared. <laughs> I just, I mean, knowing how close he is with them, forgetting about the rumor with the you know clearance and the daily presidential briefings, uh, it just really concerns me because in their circles, the cosmopolitan Manhattan crowd, um, especially as it relates to religious liberty issues that social conservatives are concerned about, my concern is that they're going to whisper into his ear and veto um, either appointments that will be advantageous for social conservatives or policies that we want. What do you make of the whole battle over John Bolton that is going on right now and Rand Paul saying Corker would be better and uh, sort of the old uh, neocon fights all over again? What is a neocon, by the way? Do we even know what this is? A neocon now anybody that doesn't believe in a foreign policy that I don't agree with? What is that? What does that term mean? This is tough. I mean, this this we we need a full hour on this. But one of the things I've done at Conservative Review, and I think we've done a good job. There's a big balance between being a Randian, Ron Paul, hey, we're screwing with the Arabs, and if we would just get out of the Middle East, they'd leave us alone. And, you know, the whole Bush era Republican, even conservative foreign policy establishment that's obsessed with getting our our soldiers involved in uh, these Islamic civil wars. We're we're none of the above. So we're going to agree with the so-called neocons on Iran, on Israel, some of those things. We'll agree with the Ron Paul people not to get involved for, for our own reasons in some of these dumpster fires in the Middle East. But the bottom line is we're none of the above. And I think Rand Paul, who, whom I, I agree with on the Iraq war and on Syria and all this stuff, but I think he is showing his true colors that he's not just, oh, a realist. He's downright a pacifist. You know what I think it actually is? I think it is that Bolton and people around him were behind a group that during the president early yeah. on in the presidential primary had a meeting literally where the whole goal was to stop Rand Paul from becoming the GOP nominee. It, I think per- that's what it is. It's personal. And, and let me say this. Um, is on the scale, meaning that balance that we're talking about between, for lack of a better term, the isolationists on one end and the neocons on the other end. Is John Bolton a little bit more neocon than I am? Yes, but he would be downright the best secretary of state we've ever had. Now, that's a very low bar because they've all stunk. I mean, even during the Reagan era, usually we have good secretaries of defense uh, in Republican administrations, but Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice. I mean, Jim Baker, who gave us the original two-state solution, for example. Exactly. I mean, she was this pro-Palestinian. I mean, really... Uh, Bush's second-term foreign policy was the forerunner to Obama's foreign policy. So John Bolton was uh, spoke out against that. I remember at the time, 
you're not going to get someone better. I don't trust Rudy with his foreign connections. And, and Rudy is an even bigger neocon, so to speak. He has no foreign policy experience. He knows nothing about foreign policy. He He's a like progressive. A, he's a progressive. He, he has no business being there. So who else would be Secretary of State? That's the, that, that's the question. And if the so only how, do you have, how do you have John Bolton and Rudy Giuliani vying for the same cabinet post? How does that even occur? I, I, I don't get it. I mean, it's like having Lindsey Graham and Jeff Sessions yes. buy for DHS. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Department of Homeland for Security, for those that don't know what Except he meant. Except that at least yes. Lindsey Graham knows more about it. I mean, um, you know, again, Rudy, that, that is not his thing. Uh, Rudy, there's a place for him, maybe FBI director. I think the shoe would fit. But you don't want him anywhere. Yeah, they're going to need one of those. Yes. Yeah, that, oh, you that will for need sure. one of those. Yes. But you don't want him as, as the AG, attorney general, or uh, – you know, any, any, any of the foreign policy-related stuff. All right, when we come back, I want to talk about AG, and I want to talk about Ted Cruz, because there's a lot of talk about him and that job. And we'll do it with Daniel Horowitz from Conservative Review here in a moment. to Steve Dace. How about we try that whole life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness thing again? This is Steve Dace. All right, back with some more Inside Politics here on the Salem Radio Network. You're listening to the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Speaking of which... Daniel Horowitz is here with us from Conservative Review. He's the one that takes us inside politics on this show each week. So, Daniel, yesterday, uh, tongues started wagging when Ted Cruz showed up at Trump Tower, comes out saying, hey, um, I'm happy to help the administration any way that I can. Jennifer Jacobs, a reporter I have known for Bloomberg, a reporter I've known for years personally, is a pretty sharp cookie, normally does her homework. Came out with the scoop last night that uh, Cruz is being considered for attorney general. I have my thoughts on this, but first I want to hear yours. I mean, I, I have to see it to believe it. I still don't believe it. Not that he's not being vetted for it, but I just don't believe he'll be picked. Um, what do I think would happen? I start to fall down the same trap of, oh, man, you don't want to take a fighter out of the Senate. And I know I'm getting a lot of messages. People are messaging me on Twitter saying the same thing, that you need at least one guy to fight in the Senate. I've come to learn that the Senate is the ultimate dumpster fire. I mean, they make House Republicans look like the founding fathers, and they're pretty bad because they just reelected the same rhino leadership. The, the, the reality of the next four years is it will fall or rise on Trump. Yeah. On, on the president. When you have the Republican president – if he's good, we'll get good stuff passed on some things. If he's bad, you're not going to be able to fight that. Having Cruz in the Senate, even in the even at a power, has proven ineffective. Not that it was his fault. You can't do anything. There's nothing he can do there anyway. I, I have a different take because I view his future as not president. I don't really see that as ever happening. I view his future as governor of Texas. I think that's where he can make his mark. And the best um, – transition the best holdover where he could be a huge national figure and leave a legacy and a mark on so many important issues that are in his wheelhouse is attorney general now one thing i just want to add 
what I'm very against is putting him on the Supreme Court. That is literally taking your fighter out of the game and benching him. You don't want him on a bench. All you want for that, we need to strip the power of the courts. All you want is just someone who's going to vote the right way. Mike Lee would be better suited or you know, uh, Grunder, some of the other good circuit judges. You don't want a, a unique talent like that locked up on a bench. Um, I'm ecstatic about the, the very concept of it. I think people need to understand you're talking about what is one of the more powerful positions in the executive branch other than the presidency itself. There's something like over 100,000 or over 10,000 employees at the Justice Department. The idea of taking the power that Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch wielded for the last eight years and empowering uh, Trump or Cruz to uh, pilot the rogue squadron to blow up their Death Star, if you will. This is how you dismantle statism. This is how you roll back what they have done. This is a very po- this would be a very powerful leadership leadership position. There's no such thing as being a voice in the Senate. That's what losers with no power say. Nothing. He, well, I don't want him working for Trump. I've heard from some cruisers. He's already going to work for Trump. Everybody's working for Trump. Daniel just said he's right. This whole thing rises and falls on Trump. Nothing's coming out of the Senate the next four years. Donald Trump doesn't sign off on anyway. Not a cotton picking thing. So everybody's working for it. Well, Trump could fire him. Well, actually, if you know the history of the country, presidents who do or attempt to fire their AGs doesn't usually turn out well. Not to mention, that is a position where he could do, let's say Trump fired him in six months. Ted Cruz could do more damage to the left in six months at attorney general than he could in the next six years in the United States Senate. I mean, Ed Meese's legacy still has a legacy. I mean, I was reading something where the porn industry is paranoid. That the same thing that happened to them when Ed Meese was attorney general in the 80s is going to happen to him again. That was over 30 years ago, man. That is the legacy of power that could be wielded. At some point, Daniel, we have to condition our people. This isn't about being fighters. This is about being leaders. The creation, God set the creation up to run on the principle of headship. They can be down there in the well of the Senate, one out of a hundred, pounding their fists, screaming and yelling, and racking up more fake, fake sound bites than, than Trey, Trey Gowdy. But if they're not in positions of leadership, which are largely administrative positions to actually advance and activate policy, it's they're basically just blogging on our dime. He should take it in a nanosecond if it's offered. Well, that's why Trey Gowdy always says he wants to be a federal judge. I mean, that's where all the power is, as we've learned. But there's no doubt about it. Number one, you're also a huge public figure, more so than kind of a secretary of defense um, where you're not as public, but it's very important nonetheless. Attorney General, you're almost like the ambassador to, to the country for the administration. That's what Ed Meese was. He was the most notorious. I mean, look at right now. We're concerned about voter fraud in the North Carolina governor's race. Look at what's happened to believers across the country having their businesses and stuff taken away. What would a Ted Cruz do with the power of the Justice Department against those sort of injustices, Daniel? I, I get a tingle up my leg simply thinking about it. This is what I discuss in Chapter 10 of my book at the very end. I I give a rationale for focusing on judicial reform, immigration, voter fraud, a a lot of the election laws, and religious liberty. I call those the triage issues. A lot of conservatives want to talk about tax reform, entitlement reform. These are all important, but they're not currently killing us. 
we could survive a little bit you know, without addressing the tax code. We cannot survive if we don't countermand some of the stuff within the legal system, the structure of our system of governance. And the linchpin to that is the attorney general's office yes. in the Department of Just- Justice. There is no th- – th- that is the single office that we absolutely cannot get wrong, and that's why we have to ensure that it is absolutely not Rudy Giuliani. There has to be – and I'd be, by the way, I'd, I'd sign up tomorrow for Jeff Sessions, too, if you told me that's who it was. There needs to be a constitutional culture warrior in that position, period. No exception, no squishes, no rhinos, no progressives. Constitutional culture warrior has to be in that position. Do we agree on that? No, absolutely. Well, who's the best one we have? Well, Ted Cruz. Ted and Cruz. I can tell you this much. Ted Cruz ain't getting religious liberty bills past the Senate. No. But if you put him as attorney general, we may not need any. If you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, well, garbage in, garbage out. That's right. All the, all the stuff Obama did and Holder, Loretta Lynch, they did. I mean, that, that Oregon official, what he did to Aaron and Melissa Klein, by the way, he lost his election last week. We're going to have civil rights investigations against guys like that with subpoena power if Ted Cruz is the AG. Who doesn't want that? And the good news is he'll be a confirmed 99 to 0. Yeah, they'll be anxious to get rid of him. <laughs> Daniel, we'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you, man. We'll come back. Respond to some of what you just heard next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Letting the lion out of its cage. The Steve Day Show. So chances are your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your values. And that's why Patriot Mobile was created. To give conservatives a chance to put our money where our values are and support a company that will reinvest our valuable resources right back into our values. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talking and texting and high-speed 4G LTE data at competitive prices. And they'll donate up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization of your choice. That means you're going to get the same quality service, the latest and greatest phones, competitive prices, but this time for the causes that you believe in. So go to PatriotMobile.com. That's PatriotMobile.com. Or call 1-800-A-PATRIOT, 1-800-A-PATRIOT. And when you decide to make that switch, use the promo code STEVE to get the $35 activation fee waived on up to two phones. So what did you guys hear from Daniel Horowitz this hour that stood out to you? It's so interesting to listen to you two chat and not have a clue, really, of what your opinion is going to be. I mean, over the last year, you know, more or less could be expected because of the ideology you fostered over years, a game plan for how you think about issues. And so you can gauge where you're probably going to come down and sense a pattern. But right now we're trying to basically predict the decisions of a a sort of madman. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm growing more and more pessimistic by the day. You you and I haven't talked in a while. You seem to feel better than I do. But I'm listening and hanging on every word you're saying because I I want to not be pessimistic. My my expectations for this were so low, I could have jumped off a mountain ducan and decapitated myself, okay? But (laughs) 
But right now, we're we've, we're at least scaling phone books. So I'm, I'm I'm walking on sunshine right now. This is going far better than I anticipated. Which I, I find fascinating because I, I think the opposite thing, but I at the same time, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think I'm right. This is madness. Uh, I, I was really surprised by Daniel's kind of visceral reaction to the thought of uh, Ted Cruz being on the Supreme Court, but I guess they shouldn't really surprise. Oh yeah, me. and that's not going to happen, by the way. Yeah, uh, that's you know that's that. I guess that shouldn't surprise me. Coming from Daniel, being that uh, he's the completely reform the courts, uh, where solution is you know kind of burning the concept of courts as we know them. Uh, in modern America, down and starting from scratch or something uh, similar to that. But uh, yeah, that's um, I, as as far as things where somebody like Ted Cruz could go, uh, could do with the next few years in his life. I think both of your takes are spot on. He could do a lot more working at some appointed uh, position like attorney general in um, you know in the next few years than he could doing anything in the Senate. Who's the, the, three, the three most visible members of government? The last eight years have been who? Barack Obama, Joe Biden, and who would be third? Eric Holder. Hi, Eric Holder. Yeah. You want to give Ted Cruz that kind of power? Sure do. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. I am. Sure. I am. I'm in. I'm all the way in. Like, I, like I'm marinating me in it. You can bury me in it, and it will cause heart palpitations on the left. <laughs> Must see TV. You're listening to Steve Dace. Now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. All right, we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Let us know what you think about what we think. D-E-A-C-E is how to spell the last name. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Coming up, how much of a role did the media play in electing Donald Trump? We'll get into some of those stats and numbers here in about 15 minutes. But for many of us that were that are in the punditry business, we thought we would be presiding over a civil war within the Republican Party right now. And we're not. Now, there's not a civil war in the Democratic Party either. But there is a rebranding going on. Remember, these people believe they're on the right side of history. So yesterday, the leadership, posi- the le- leadership election in the House was put off to give people a chance basically to challenge Nancy Pelosi. And what you're watching right now is the Democrats are convinced, at least within their existing hierarchy. Now, we may have a speaker or we may have a a minority leader election here in a couple of weeks that may decide some some more old school, traditional. And there's not many of them left. There are not many Harry Truman-esque Democrats left. Most of them became Republicans already. But, but we may find that there may be some of those old blue dogs, as they used to be known, still out there somewhere saying, hey, we, we, we just we, we can't have, have another election where we just hand over 
the largest segment of middle and, and poor people in the country that because they're white and they don't buy into our race baiting agenda. Uh, that We can't win like this. But for the most part, what we are seeing on the other side is there isn't really that much of this kind of soul searching going on. I know that what I'm supposed to do as your conservative, friendly neighborhood conservative talk show host is I'm supposed to root for this. I'm supposed to say, yeah, just let them go out there and destroy themselves. Here's why. First of all, they can't. There's always going to be there's going to be a political party that represents their viewpoint, guys. All right. It's just there's too much money in it. Too many people that adhere to it. There's going to be a political party that adheres to progressivism unfettered. That's that's going to exist. You know, it's like rooting for your rival in college football to destroy themselves. Well, they're not canceling the football. The, the team might suck. Might suck this year, but they're still going to have a, Guess what they're still going to have, guys? A team. Still going to play a game. It's not like, well, yeah, they're done. No, they're not done. They're still out there. Even Penn State coming off the Sandusky scandal was still playing 12 games a year. Okay? So, I mean, you're not getting rid of them. They're not, you're, you're not, they're not going away. It's not like you just you know, send them on the first rocket ship to the sun. And one of the things that we see is the, through the history of this two-party duopoly is their relationship and polarity to one another. And since most of our people and most of our side is defined by opposition to the left and not what we are actually for in the affirmative, that's what I was talking to Glenn Beck about on his show yesterday. Well, if we have one side that is over here in the pitch black left, Marx didn't go far enough left. Inevitably, since we are more more defined by being against them than what we are objectively for, what, what, where will they end up dragging us into the conversation then as well? What, what, which direction will we go? We'll go left too. Have we not seen this for the last 20 years in this country? I've had my fill. That's why yes, we're here. We are a right of center country, but where is the center? Todd, is the center where it was 20 years ago? No. <laughs> no. We're a right of center country, but it's not where it was 20 years ago. The center has moved, and it's because of what I'm describing. We allow what we are against to define us. Our, loath- our, loath- our loathing, most of it justified, for what we are against, though, is our justification. We're not, we're not ju- forget the old the theological argument, Steve, are we justified by works or faith in works? We're justified by loathsome. That's what we're, I loathe thee, therefore I'm, I loathe the media, therefore we're right. I loathe, the, I loathe the left. We're justified by our loathing, the object of our loathing. Well, that means you're never affirmatively advancing what you are about, what you're for. You're just constantly, you're not even conserving now. You're a reactionary. I'm reacting to this. So if one party goes over the cliff of history into the Marxist abyss, they're not going to cease to exist. Because <laughs> who got Hillary Clinton's Nonplussed voters. Jill Stein, guys. It's not like there's some, you know, apparatus. There's no, there's some place for the Jim Webb old blue dog Democrats to stand up and say, hey, we went too far left. They're not having that argument. So if they go literally, if they literally go into the black hole of Marxism. Because we rarely pull back the other way, but instead just react angrily to where they go, 
they may end up dragging us really qu- really close, to, dangerously close to that gravitational pull ourselves. And then we'll say, well, we just circled the black hole. We didn't go inside, so we're the lesser of two evils, and that makes us better. Does any of this sound familiar? Yes. Uh, it's a fair bet for four years yeah, from now. Okay, all right. keep my I've, vomit I, down. I have done this radio show for, for before. It's called My Career in This Industry. That's why this is not good for America to see what they're doing over there. And I'm going to spend some time on this show the next few weeks. We're going to cover this. I'm not going to get into every rumor of who's in the Trump cabinet or not, because you got, that, that is such a symbiotically dysfunctional relationship between Trump and the media. I, I believe Trump's just sometimes just throwing names out there just to freaking troll these people, and I can't blame him for it. So we will react when they make an announcement. Or some legit, some legit news media gives a, gives a report like they did on General Flynn tonight. But I'm not going to do this show every night on rumors. Instead, I'm going to take that time and I'm going to follow what's going on on the left. Because I think we need to be made aware of this. Because they're one half of the argument in this country. So I want you to listen to this clip. This is Congressman Keith Ellison from 2007. This is the man that they are thinking about making the head of the DNC. Remember we talked about if Trump lost and Carly Fiorina is the head of the RNC, which she would be the figurehead of the party basically for four years? Now the Democrats are in this position. This is the man that they want to make the face of their party for the next four years. Listen to this. 9-11 explains why we're in this war. We could never be in this war but for 9-11. We could never be um, tolerating torture but for 9-11. Because when they argued for torture, they said, well, if you knew that somebody could stop a bomb if you tortured them, uh, would you go for it then? Because remember 9-11, right? You would never have all this discrimination against religious minorities. Uh, and, but for 9-11, I mean, you, you had it, but you didn't have it to the degree that we have it now. All, 9-11 is this, is this juggernaut event in American history, and it, it allows, I mean, it's almost like, you know, the Reichstag fire kind of reminds me of that. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, who benefited from 9-11? Well, I mean, you know, uh, you, you and I both know. Yeah, boys. But, but the thing is, is that, you know, after the Reichstag was burned, they blamed the communists for it, and it put um, the leader of that country in a position where he could basically have authority to do whatever he wanted. They're going to go with 9-11's like the Reichstag fire guy? That's going to be the face of the Democratic Party for the next four years? That's what they're going with. 9-11 was the Reichstag fire. Really? How far gone do you have to be as a movement to come out of this election, and this is the message you think you need to... This is your reboot. This is the rebrand. Maybe the wrong party did an autopsy here. I'm telling you, Todd, this is not good for America. There's only two major political parties in this country. And this is a deeply polarized and divided country, which means half of America just about is going to sign off on this because that's my team, that's my quarterback, that's my guy. 25 years ago, this guy would have been laughed out of any Democratic Party event in this country. And now they're thinking about making him the face of their party. Yeah, well, the election of Trump doesn't... It's not going to cause them to rethink things. They're saying it out loud. It it makes them think they're more right than ever before. So we we talked about a little uh, last night. There's a game of chicken going on here. 
and 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 putting Bannon forward. Uh, on the one hand, it it makes no sense, but on the other hand, it makes perfect sense in that continually to drive the left further left uh, it ultimately worked to Trump's advantage. He wants them to keep going nuts because he thinks that's what pushed him over the top. It's an ugly game of chicken, but I think that's what we're dealing with. We are going to follow this story for the next few weeks as they go through their identity crisis on the other side, because they do represent about half of this argument. And if half of this argument is what you just heard, this election is, we still have a lot of work to do after this election. You're listening to Steve Dace. Liberty has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. This is Steve Day. So what kind of a role did the media play in this election? Dan Gaynor is here with us from the Media Research Center, and it's good to have you back, Dan. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. It's been a wild, wacky, and crazy time in post post election temper tantrum America. See, I think let, let me start with that question before we get to the study you guys wrote about today, Dan, because I think the media had a lot to do with this election. It was very clear, as many of us that our movement conservatives were frustrated at the inordinate. Uh, coverage they gave Trump during the primary, which you guys chronicled a lot of this at MRC, how they just went out of their way to build him up, clearly thinking because of his persona, the negatives, oppo research they had waiting to unveil on him at, at opportune times in the election, that, that he was the most eminently beatable candidate for Hillary in what was a tough you know, third-term election environment for Democrats. But then the plan ended up kind of backfiring on him a little bit because the guy's made his whole life out of play in the media. It's how he's avoided his own scandals and things of that nature that would have brought other people down. But he's a maestro at playing the media. He, they, and he, I think they overplayed their hand. He beat them at their own game. And I think they had a lot to do with getting him elected just because of backlash against them. Am I wrong? Well, I think the backlash point is very – I think the, the – the American people understood how biased the, the media were this election. And I think it's not just the news media. It's the entertainment media. It's the Avengers and the Empire cast. And you go down the line, you look like, okay, this is Star Trek. And all these, all these uh, large group collections of actors and actresses, and they're all lining up almost entirely for Hillary. And I think the American people said, Wait a second, you've been building her up for almost 25 years in news and entertainment. And then you spent more than 20, actually, I think it ended up being close to 30 t- different TV shows attacking Donald Trump. I think people say, you know, at some point, oh, that's what Hollywood wants me to do. I'm not doing that. Do they understand this, Dan? Do they really understand this point, do you think? And some oh, of them, some of them seem to be. I mean, I've seen. Some introspective things, you know, a little bit at places like the New York Times and some other places. But as an industry, do they truly understand what the point that you just made? No, none of them. Not, not the news, not the entertainment either way. They, 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 you can tell by the news media. New York Times doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down. You can keep going. You can go like Googling down, I guess, which is the appropriate term today. 
Uh, you look at how much they're trying to kneecap all of the Trump nominees, how much they're trying to, oh, wait, some, we heard rumor this person might be nominated, we're going to destroy them. And then you go on and you look at the bias and the stats we came up with. We, we had YouGov uh, do, do some polling. And seven out of ten voters don't believe the media are honest and truthful. Seven out of ten. Hmm. And eight out of ten uh, you know, thought that they were biased on the presidential election. And by a factor of three to one, they were, they were sure it was biased for, for Clinton and not for Trump. That includes, Dan, even a third of the Clinton voters that you surveyed. Yeah, but the killer <laughs> stat to me is not those stats. I mean, those stats, if you're in America and you, didn't, you don't believe the media, that means that you're sane. Uh, but 8% of Trump voters, now remember Trump got, what, about 60 million votes? Mm-hmm. So 10% is 6 million, so you're looking at basically about 5, 5 million votes. Eight percent of Trump voters said they would have voted for Clinton if they believed what the media were saying about Trump. That probably would have tilted the election when you consider four states were decided by one point four points or less that determined who won the electoral college. Those those votes right there probably would have tipped the balance, don't you think? I, I think one percent of those, you know, instead of eight percent. I mean, that's that is how close run this election is. And yes, people say the media didn't influence their vote, but that's only because for the first time. Two things happened. One, there, were, there was a wild attempt by the right to make this point. I, our organization certainly hammered us home. But also you had a presidential candidate in Trump who was not cowed by the media. For the first time ever, somebody didn't bail on, bail on the fight. He did beat them at their own game, which just goes to show why you don't keep a scorpion for a pet, Dan. I mean, he well, he, he stung them. He beat him at their own game. Slogan. I remember a 60s slogan. Be careful what you want, for you may surely get it. Mm-hmm. Dan Gaynor is here with us from the Media Research Center talking about the role that the media played in this election. Let's 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 move forward here a little bit. And when I was on PBS, they asked me to come on a panel last week to talk about how how much their bias caused them to miss what went on in this election. And I made this point to them. You know, I'm, I, when I was a kid growing up in the or teenager growing up in the 90s. And I remember watching like infomercials at 2 a.m. that some people on our side were putting out that Bill Clinton was icing his own Arkansas security detail to keep his affairs quiet. I mean, we, we put some crazy feces out there, right? So then when we find him, we get him on tape lying under oath to a federal grand jury. Half of America looks at us and says, oh, come on now. I mean, this is you guys have been out there. You killed Vince Foster, all these other conspiracies. And I said to them on PBS, Dan, I said, you guys are already doing this to Trump right now. Any legitimate muckraking you may try to, 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 to develop or to unveil in the next four years, half of this country is going to dismissively wave their hand and say, it's just the mouth breathers in the media all over again, Dan. I think even more than half, as you were pointing out, that the one in three Clinton people, I think the media are so blatantly trying to take down Trump right now that I, you know, it's, I've already seen it among the never Trump friends I follow on Twitter, I'm friends with, who are conservatives who wanted, who didn't want Trump to win. And then they look, and one of them, and I won't name the person because I don't want to call anybody out on this, but one named the person said, you know, I oppose Trump, but I look and I see the reaction. Now I know why people voted for him. And, and that I'm seeing across the board, what they're doing, they're forcing the right to close ranks. And then, 
independents are going to look at it and say, okay, you guys are just ridiculous. I think a lot of Americans are sick of the battle. And the media, the, the response, you know, they're, they're having, a, as I called it, the national temper tantrum in the media. And then in the streets, they're, they're trying to shut down our nation. I think the American people aren't going to stand for it. I've got about 90 seconds. If, if a consortium of, of newsroom leaders in this country brought you in and said, Dan, we're going to give you the floor. Tell us what we ought to do right now. What would you tell them? Okay, I'd say you guys focus on diversity hiring for everything. Gender, uh, sexual orientation, race, mm-hmm. religion. No, you don't do that one because that would bother you. You worry, about, you worry about Muslims. You don't worry about Christians. So... You have to worry about making your newsrooms reflect America, not just by appearance, Mm -hmm. but by thought. Mm -hmm. And that means 40% of Americans are conservative. Either you address that point or you shut down and go out of business. And I I personally, at this point, I don't think they're going to do the first, so they might as well do the second. Dan Gaynor, they do great work at the Media Research Center. Check out this study. They've got it over there at newsbusters.org, newsbusters.org. An amazing study on the role media bias played in this election. Dan, thanks for joining us tonight, brother. We appreciate it. Thank you, and also thank you for going on PBS. Someone has to. (laughs) Nobody else was willing to, so they called me, Dan. (laughs) Thank you, man. We'll uh, We'll have some thoughts on what Dan just said here in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. He's a man that believes our electoral process is better than most. Strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords, is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. Steve Dace. All right, let's talk about the conversation we just had with Dan Gaynor from the Media Research Center talking about... The media and the role that they played in this election and stat lines like 8% of the people in the poll that MRC commissioned, eight just 8%, said that if they believed what the media was saying about Trump, they would have voted for Hillary Clinton, which would have been more than enough to swing the election given how, how close it was. I know if we were on Twitter right now, Todd, this is when you would post your uh, journalism is magical and not at all broken meme, right? So... Um, you're someone that uh, has worked many a year, and you and your spouse both in a newsroom. As you're listening to Dan Gaynor talk about the role they played in this election, your reaction is what? And so the stat you just uh, mentioned would indicate that the press would reflect on this and certainly not change its stripes, but would do things a little differently, and ulti- at least in the near future, and, and and consider you know the next election down the road, but the opposite is going to happen. It, Steve, this is like sleeper cells have been activated. The, the, the jihad within the press rooms is only going to get turned up to eleven. So they're already helping Trump with his twenty twenty get out the vote operation. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, because Trump can, makes them think they're more right than ever. 
He again. You, you, how long did you talk about how the problem with Trump is he's making uh, all of the worst stereotypes about the right mm-hmm. seemingly come true or perhaps come true? So that verifies what the left has always thought of us. You, you put yourself in their shoes. They they truly believe they're more right than ever. I'm becoming, if if you're finished with your thoughts, uh, Todd, I'm becoming more and more convinced that there is no such thing as journalism in the United States anymore. I mean, there are some pockets there, but it's like the last little uh, glimpse of sunshine before the sun sets uh, in the West every night. It's there, but it is fleeting, and it will be gone soon, I think. Instead, what we have is just a couple of dueling narratives. There's just a narrative on the left, and then there's a narrative on the right, because true journalism, really trying to find the truth, that doesn't get clicks, yo. I mean, that doesn't sell advertisements. So I think what we have now is, I mean, we have the same problem, I think, on the right with conservative media, so to speak. And I should, you know, I, I need to be careful, I guess. But I, I think it's the truth that um, we just have um, media that speaks to a group of constituents or a group of people who want to hear what they have to say. And I think that's the same as it is on the other side as well. You know, along the lines of what you were just saying, Aaron... What the fixation for them right now is the electoral college story. Mm-hmm. We're not covering that on this show. I'm not booking anybody on on this. This is a fake story. Nothing will happen. Um, they don't have the votes to amend the constitution. Heck, the Republicans are one state legislature away from being able to call a convention of the states. Yep. Is my understanding. Yeah. So I mean, this is the smallest representation I think the Democratic Party has had in the modern era in state legislatures nationwide. So why is this story such a fixation? It's their birtherism. It's a nothing burger to play to a particular base that just wants fake news, that, that, that makes them feel good, that affirms them, that, it's all, that they lost because of some, some grand conspiracy, not because their candidate sucked, not because they ran their John McCain. So there must be something else. There must be some Manchurian reason for why they lost. And there, and there are going to be, just like there were fake Tea Party groups on the right that raised... That just printed money off this clickbait crap on our own side for the last few years. This is the fake astroturf clickbait now of the alt left. Is this is the alt left now coming forward with their own fake clickbait stories for their own sheeple and and all by and 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 you know send us three ninety nine a month to get rid of the electoral college. Is that along the lines of what you're describing, Aaron? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, that's I think this is where that's going. I mean, remember back in 2008, after um, Barack Obama was elected, uh, what was the main news story for the few months uh, after that? I mean, I literally just got a yelling pitch. at their representatives. I just got yeah. a pitch on, hey, the Rep- yeah, Democrats want to get rid of the electoral cause. Don't play conservatives. Don't play this game. Yeah. Don't engage. Don't confront it. Don't talk about it. This is a scam. It's a scam from the left to clickbait fundraise off of their own base, just like we saw these from the right. I'm sorry, Aaron, go ahead. Finish your point. Oh, no, I I would agree with that, and I I saw the same thing. I mean, I think this was one of the things I said maybe on election night or leading up to election night. We, as as what's left of the conservative movement or just conservatives in general— uh, we got to get better at identifying what scams are and what uh, what you know scam what things need to be taken seriously because our our movement was done in as you uh, so aptly pointed out by the Tea Party clickbait uh, movement and um, you know we can't we can't afford to let our attention be spent on just stupid stories like what you just pointed out with the electoral college junk. We'll come back with more in a few. Listening to Steve Dace. 
Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Steve Day Show. Have something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. You see, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? We talk about something else. Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. It is the Nightly Buzz, where we go back, take a look at the headlines we didn't have time to get to earlier in the show. As relayed to us by our producer, Aaron, who has been very just kind of lingering, very luridly looking over your shoulder. What's the word? Indeed. Um, He's that uh, funny name guy at the water cooler, so he can uh, just kind of listen and eavesdrop in on that conversation. He's got the headlines. We've got the hot takes. Thank you, Steve. Uh, An excommunicated Catholic priest and LGBT activist stormed the altar during the homily at a U.S. bishop's mass on Monday evening to protest church doctrine on homosexuality. Video from the Archdiocese of Baltimore shows the man entering the sanctuary and kissing the altar, something the priest does at the beginning of Mass, and then unfurling a sign. The sign's full message is not clear on the video, which then turned away from the protester. An observer tweeted that the sign asked the Catholic Church to stop persecuting gays. According to Vatican observer Rocco Pomo, it was ex-Marinol priest Father Roy Bourgeois, uh, Bourgeois was uh, laicized, or laicized, 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 thank you, in 2012 for participating in a women's ordination ceremony. Bourgeois was escorted out. Called it. This goes back to what we were just talking about, just in a different form. There is a very limited audience of people who respond well to these sorts of tactics. And you already have them. This doesn't win anybody. It doesn't. What it actually does is it turns people off. So why do you do it? Because you're a cult. And progressivism is a cult. It is the heresy of this age, as you've heard me say it before. It's why they can't tone down. It's why they can't simmer down. It's why they can't tactically, critically think and reassess. It is why they lash out. It is why they act out. What you just heard from Aaron is what the crowd was like outside of Lot's house the night before the sulfur fell down, Todd. Yeah, well, a maxim of Martin Luther King and others is that there is never a wrong time to do the right thing. And that's what these folks believe. But they're wrong about what the right thing is. That's what, that's what cults usually are. They're really wrong. They're over the top wrong. And they can't stop. They won't stop. This is just the beginning. I've I've made this prediction multiple times in the last year that uh, not not just within the Catholic Church, but uh, Orthodox Christianity is now going to be protests during uh, Sunday services. It's going to be happening a lot more. It won't work. That's that's the worst tactic. I mean, that's the worst. That's the worst tactic they could adopt. They were doing it right. Victimization works you guys proved it and now that they have power they don't know what to do with it other than yes, shove not, it in people's faces you guys you guys postmodernize america to condition it to accept your victimization at face value with nary a contrarian view tolerated 
And your response to this is to now self-immolate yourselves? But this, but this is how cults act. They don't take yes for an answer. Next story, uh, new research has revealed that uh, Australian men are, more, are spending more money on beauty than the fairer sex. A nationwide survey by Suncor uh, Insurance. Correction. Uh, Suncorp. Australian males. Males. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> that is a distinction that needs to be made. Australian males are spending more on beauty than the fairer sex. A news nationwide survey by Suncorp Insurance has found that men in their 20s are spending more on clothes, shoes. Males. Males. Gosh. Uh, and personal care than their female counterparts. The survey of 1,000 males found that ever, that uh, males in their 20s will splash an average of $493 every month to look good compared with females who spend an average of $390 a month. <laughs> Information. Um, I, I just... You can do I, with it what I, you want. I, I, I am about $420 short of yes. that mark per month. <laughs> At least... Hey, I just want everybody to know, I did take a bath this week. <laughs> How you like them apples? Oh, very nice. Well, well th- if you know your clockwork orange, the answer here is, the, for these fools, is to tie them in a chair. You have to force their eyelids open, and there should be mandatory 24-7 viewing of Crocodile Dundee until they return to their once great selves. <laughs> How? I, I don't know. I You know, I'm not single anymore, and... Thank God. I've, I've, because you were trying really hard then. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know. That's what I'm, I'm. Maybe things have changed. I'm 42 or oh, actually okay, I'm 43 years old now. So when we, you and I were, when, when you and I were single in our 20s, chicks did not dig guys who had more product in their hair than they did. In fact, I remember always being flummoxed how they liked the greasy, long-haired, you know, uh, guitar hero guy. Is this changed, Aaron, amongst you millennials? Did um, the chicks want? Un- unfortunately. Better I have guys to say, who are better I, groomed than they are. Yeah, I well, I don't know. I can't t- talk about the the female desire, but I can say that uh, I have known many, many guys, guys, who um, who take a lot of time and spend a lot of money on how they look, and it's repulsive. Um, next story: The Dallas Cowboys have been the center of attention for the league's greatest quarterback controversy of the season, and it's certainly a spot. Tony Romo. Their former starting quarterback didn't expect to be in coming into the season. Rookie Dak Prescott uh, has come in, has led the Cowboys to an 8-1 record, and uh, they've looked like one of the best teams in the league. Tuesday afternoon, Romo spoke to the media and said this, Football is a meritocracy. You aren't handed anything. You earn everything every single day over and over again. You have to prove it. That's the way that the NFL, that's the way that football works. A great example of this is Dak Prescott and what he's done. He's earned the right to be our quarterback. As hard for me to say as that is to say, he's earned that right. What a team player. That's what uh, that that's uh, one of the things that makes football great in my opinion. Yeah, I'm, and and he did not have to go to that length. But by doing so, probably played a role in whatever success Dallas will ultimately have at the end of this season. You got that right. And that's your spiritual antidote to Colin Kaepernick nonsense right there. Amen to that. Amen to that. You're listening to Steve Dace.
the free air while you still can. The Steve Day Show. We got to live in Texas, guys. Seriously, what are we doing here? Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, just tweeted out, and I quote, Texas just got about a trillion dollars richer, a $900 billion oil treasure discovered beneath West Texas. You had me at no state income tax. Oh, wait, you didn't say that. <laughs> I mean, why are we here? Okay, there, there is one thing. Well, just just one thing. I said, and I said this is somebody who was born here in Iowa, but why are we here? Wouldn't you get tired of the warm weather? All uh, Never mind. Todd, why are we here? Well, by that standard, though, we could be living up in uh, North Dakota, couldn't we? It's what he just said. Warm weather, yeah. no state income tax, which yeah. I don't think does North Dakota. I can't remember hey, if they have no. I, North Dakota winners make us look balmy. Yeah. Daniel Horowitz has actually talked about that. we we need to be doing a lot more voting with our feet. You know, if we if we turn this government what, into what it should be, and states have real power again, you're going to see what you're talking about. And vice versa, there's going to, you know, the whole city of Austin may pick up and move to Massachusetts or <laughs> to California or something, too. You know, it's going to work both ways. And it should. That would be refreshing where everybody had to make a decision. You don't just get to s- sit here in Iowa and sit here and complain and shut down traffic uh, in Iowa City. No. Get what? out. That's not what I sign up for, Todd. I mean, <laughs> no, that, that's what the left did. I, I, I'll bet you, well, I'm, I'm, I suck at math. But I'll, I'll, I'll bet that at least when all the votes are counted and Hillary wins the popular vote, I'm going to bet you at least half of her lead in the national popular vote, at least half of it, is because of the margin she ran up in California. At least half. You guys want to take that bet? Not against you. I mean, yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'd take it. Yeah. So, so we've so clearly that's a sign that that's that, that the progressives have done that, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so why don't we do the same thing to Texas? You know, I think that's a good point. What are the terms of your the lease you're in right now? Just out of curiosity. Uh, it's <laughs> uh, it's it's up in February, I think. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you have a different question, Todd. What are the terms of your marriage? Ah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, since you brought that up, yeah. I mean, how how would that go over in the Erzin uh, household? No state income I, tax. A conversation could be had. Think so? Oh yeah. I'm just. It's it's all about that state income tax because I've been. I've been figuring. Cost me thirteen thousand dollars a year to live here because of the state income tax. State alone. Yes. What the heck? You're man? nodding your head. Yes. Have you done the math on your end, Todd? Uh, Denial. Freaking better. hate tax. <laughs> teasing myself. Teasing myself. Listening to Steve Dace. Do 
you are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here tonight on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Coming up, we're going to start a new series on Worldview Wednesday on lessons we've learned from 2016. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It is that time of night when our producer, Aaron, gives the questions around here. He gets to ask us any three things about any three things. There is nothing off limits, but he must be willing to answer the same questions that he asks of us. Aaron. Thank you, Steve. And if you want to ask a question and have it be considered for three questions, you can hit me up, Aaron at SteveDace.com. Melissa Pollock asks... And this is a question that we've uh, asked before, but I thought it would be good to uh, bring it up again after the election. How do you feel about the convention of the states? Are you in favor of it? And would you focus on one specific issue? Um, my feelings on it haven't changed at all. Uh, I, I see the inherent problems of opening Pandora's box, but the reason you do a convention of the states is because Pandora's box has been opened. Uh, to me, a convention of the states is, and I've used this analogy in the past, permit me to use it once more, uh, you don't throw a Hail Mary pass when you're behind by two or three touchdowns or even one touchdown with three minutes to go in the third quarter. You don't even throw one when you're behind by three minutes to go in the fourth quarter. When do you throw a Hail Mary pass? The very end. When you think it's the last play and it's the last chance you have to, to score. And, and I do think from a constitutional viewpoint, I do think that we are there. Um, I, I, I'll be fascinated to see if, 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 if a guy like Ted Cruz becomes attorney general, where he really would be the chief prosecutor of the Constitution in American jurisprudence, it would be fascinating to see if that slows the momentum for this at all. If people say, well, maybe we're not there now. Let, let's, let, maybe we're not at the end of the game. You know, we just got this hotshot quarterback, put him in. Let's give him a drive and right. see what he can do with the, with you know before we just start chucking and ducking. Let's see if he can get us down the field for a touchdown and then maybe reassess things. I wonder if we'll see some of that because, you know, there was a, I told you before the tw- before this election what was different than 2012 is at the end of that election people were already contacting me about how do we get into Iowa in 2016. And this time around, people were not, even though Trump was polling much worse than Romney, people were not calling me about how we get into Iowa in 2020. People were calling me about, what do you think about a third party? Now, when the guy who won the presidency got 26% of eligible voters in America to vote for him, there's a market for a third party. But don't you think the momentum for it, though, 
the buzz has has considerably slowed since the election? I, I do. I wonder if the same thing would happen to the convention of the states if somebody like Cruz were the AG, if people would say, well, we've never had somebody since Meese who was a true warrior in that position. Before we throw the Hail Mary pass, let's give him some time and see what happens. I don't know. But I don't think the point of a convention of states, Todd, is, is, is issues, is to focus on issues. It is to make the Constitution the issue and to close Pandora's box. And because of how much trouble we would have doing that, I think the convention, the notion of a convention of states is as dangerous as ever. And I don't mean that as a, a pejorative. It's just a fact. No, no matter whether you think it's necessary or not, a convention of the states would be very dangerous. You have the, already have the grandest document ever devised uh, by man for self-rule. But that document does include this very provision well, to protect it, and it. Like I said, it, it, it's necessary. It's good that it's there, but it is an inherently dangerous one. We're already ignoring the document we have, and it's a brilliant document. No matter what comes out of the convention of the states, we are just living in a world where people will free to uh, ignore that uh, as well. And it, it, it almost, you know, it's a game, it would be a game of Russian roulette in terms of, if we came out with something equally as great as the Constitution, that would be a miracle. I think there is a line of thinking right now, and I've seen this pop up uh, quite a bit in the last uh, week and a day, and that is uh, we are so close to having, what is it, the three-fourths of state legislatures mm-hmm. needed to be able to ratify something uh, or change something in the Constitution. And, um, you know, it, it, there is a line of thinking, when is that going to happen again? You know, wh- But, you know, um, over the last eight years... Who, who the heck knows? Uh, so uh, the, the main thing is what are you going to come – if there is a convention of states, uh, even if it is um, you know, brought about by this majority of uh, Republican legislatures, um, what are you going to come out of there with? That remains an unknown, and it doesn't really matter um, you know, who's really in control of it or who, who brings a convention of states about. It, is, it can be dangerous. I think right now um, we, don't, we don't know what's going to happen with the Trump administration. It could be great. could be really bad. So I think it is uh, making it even more dangerous. Question two, Becky asks, what would your last meal be? be? Warm, gooey chocolate chip cookies and um, Chicago-style pizza. That's it. Warm, gooey chocolate chip cookies right out of the oven where they're cooked at least a minute or two less than the recipe calls for so that when I grab them, they fall apart. And you guys know what Chicago-style pizza is? Oh, yeah, deep dish. Yeah, yeah but with this, this, you know, where it's kind of inverted, right? That's what I'm talking about. Oh. oh. Yeah, that, that would be the last meal. Uh, I think... Uh, and maybe a shamrock shake to wash it down. <laughs> Todd? Probably a really good chop house style cheeseburger. Thick slice of raw onion on top. I mean, really good sharp Yeah, but cheddar. see, the thing is for me, since I eat low carb most of the time now, I, I eat like that stuff all the time now. Notice I picked a bu- I picked stuff that I don't get to eat all the time now, so... Uh, I would probably do um, barbecue beef brisket. I'm a big um, brisket guy. I love brisket. Do mashed potatoes. Costco butter. has this corned beef brisket lunch meat. Oh, nice. It is great. Oh, very nice. Um, yeah, I would do uh, 
mashed potatoes and make sure that it's actually the flavorful, you know, just, you know, a little bit of mashed potatoes with butter, if you know what I mean. I hear you. Um, I'm feeling you. Yeah. And then I... My mother-in-law, for Thanksgiving every year, she has this sweet potato casserole. Mm Mm-hmm. I just take the spoon and skim the top <laughs> where the pecans and the caramel oh, and, nice. and, the, and everything is, mm-hmm. and I just leave the sweet potatoes by themselves. Oh, very nice. Yeah. And I would probably do uh, cream corn as well. Just comfort food all around. Uh, good, hearty comfort food. All right, uh, final question. Joseph Lee has a couple of Nintendo, Nintendo-based questions. First, uh, what are your thoughts on the Nintendo Classic Edition? That's like uh, this new product that they just uh, released. Uh, it's kind of like a plug-and-play type thing. Well, it's an old, you know, original NES uh, emulator that you can plug into your TV and play, like, all of the top games from back in the day. Uh, you know, I, I, we were doing some early Christmas shopping today, and mm-hmm. I saw the handheld football game I used to play in the backseat of the car when we used to go on trips when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And at first, I was so nostalgic for it, and I, and I grabbed it, and I pushed a couple of buttons. I'm like, this sucks. This thing sucks. <laughs> That's sort of what I think about this. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... Yeah, I like it. It's cool for a minute, you know, to, to get your... To get, remember the old Konami track and field? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you got the you had to get your spoon out because you had to hit it so hard to uh, run yeah. that race, right? And it hurt your thumb. <laughs> It'd be cool to do that for like 10 minutes, and then you're like, dude, I'd rather play like Arkham VR. It's a lot better than this. So the, the nostalgia to, for me, Todd, only takes me so far. Well, it's obviously taking other people because I heard something on the radio that it's already sold out. In most places, so it's clearly. Uh, so, what you, so you know what? Listen, I live in Iowa. Texas discovered a nine hundred billion dollar oil deposit, and a, a forty year old, a thirty year old video game system is old, all sold out. Shows what I know. So never forget everything I just said. Genius idea. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, um, even though this was, the NES was well before my time, uh, I actually, the first video games I ever played were on an NES, and so I, I do feel a little bit of nostalgia for this. I, I still maintain Super Mario Brothers 3 is one of the best video games I think that has ever been invented. Do you remember when Zelda day. came out for the first time? Yeah. It was the first time you could save a game and not have to start back at the beginning? Mm-hmm. And how cool that was? How How revolutionary that was? But even... Why is like Mario Brothers and Tech Mobile? That is viewed as like the high, high water mark now of if, video games. Is the old Super Tech Mobile in here? Uh, I which was the first oh, game that I saved know. seasons and stats like we do with Madden and stuff. If you brought that back, you might get a purchase out of me if you brought that one back. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Personally, believe elitism, Marxism, atheist, government intervention, secular humanist, liberals and conservatives, materialism, nihilism, U.S. Americans, Christian, globalist, socialist, democracy. Worldview, as the word suggests, is how we look at the world around us. How do we understand life as it hits us in the face? Libertarian, Tea Partier, the free market. Nobody is without a worldview. The only question is, is it a good one or a bad one? So it becomes the glasses, the spectacles, the filter through which they're actually seeing life. And the whole universe and the world and human life is understood through that lens. This is Steve Dace. And this is Worldview Wednesday, your college philosophy class on the radio. We're starting a new series here tonight. Now, next week, we're going to commemorate Thanksgiving and take a, a, a brief break. But uh, for the rest of this year, uh, between now and the time that uh, I take my 
annual end of the year time into the basement, man, where I go into the cave with the family. I will consume more carbs those two weeks than I will the previous 50 weeks of the of, of the year. Uh, I will play an obscene amount of video games, maybe shower thrice. It's called my annual Christmas vacation, and my family and I look forward to it each and every year. Between now and then, we're going to take a look back at this election and, and the lessons that we have learned. And we're going to look at four areas. We're going to look at what we've learned about the media. We're going to look at, and, and really when I say what we've learned, I should say what the voters have taught us. Do you guys think that's a better way of putting it? Probably. Probably. Yeah, because right, yeah, the, the voters are the ones in this country still. They're, the, they're still the ones that teach the lessons around here, whether we like it or not. Sometimes they, sometimes you don't like the lesson they teach, but they're the ones that te- they're the ones that dole out the lessons in this country. The people do. So, what did the people teach us about the media? What did they teach us about the Republican Party? What did they teach us about Christianity in this election? And this week we start with what they taught us about Donald Trump. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. There is a political urban legend, gentlemen. Maybe you've heard this one before. George W. Bush, I should say George H.W. Bush, he is on the precipice of doing something no commander-in-chief has done in American history, launching an offensive war. Desert Shield is about to become Desert Storm, provide he has been given approval from Congress for the action. And so now it's a matter of, does he give the order? And the political urban legend says that uh, President Herbert Walker Bush was having some last-minute doubts about unleashing hell upon Saddam Hussein. And then the phone rang. And he picked it up. And there was the familiar, austere, penetrating voice of Margaret Thatcher on the other end. And political legend says she is to have said to Mr. Bush, quote, this is no time to get wobbly, George. Unquote. I think if the Iron Lady were here today, if she had not yet passed on into glory, if she was here today, I think you would hear her say this. To Donald Trump. Well, I think she'd probably say some other things too, like, I'm going to clean your mouth out with soap. Okay? But but now that now that he's the leader of the free world or about to be, I think she would tell him, after scolding him, probably well deserved, I think she would also tell him this is no time to get wobbly, Donald. There is something about us as men, I don't know what it is. I have felt this too, and I'm not on any level compared to Donald Trump, but I feel this when when my own career takes a st- another step forward, that there's this idea that begins to uh, be, you know begins to surface in the back of our minds, like, well, now that I'm here, I need to do this differently. I, now, now that I'm here, I I can't do some of the the stuff I was doing before. I gotta. Be more respectful. I've, I've got to come correct. You're nodding your head, Todd. You, if you, 
And, and there is something internal in us, in men. We do this. To, forget. Eventually, other people will do this to us. But we start doing this to ourselves. I have literally. I remember the first time I did a national television interview. And I had this voice in the back of my head said, you can't be yourself. That, you know what I, I mean? Yeah. I just, I mean, oh. and, and I was my, I heard it was my own voice telling me this. You and I had this conversation when I started on the show. I remember sitting in front of the mic and just parsing every word and overthinking and to finally reach the point where it's like, I'm just going to tell people to stick it where the sun don't shine like I always have. And right. hallelujah, let freedom ring. To finally get to that point is where you need to be. Yeah, screw that thought. Screw it so much. But it is it is true. There is something about us where we start thinking we got to become more like the people we beat to get to where we're at. And instead of stopping and saying to ourselves, you know, if folks wanted that, that's what they would have done. That They would have put that person, you know. They would have, they would have put that person in that spot if that's what they wanted. Now it may seem counterintuitive to think you have to say something like this to Donald Trump, but this is the presidency of these United States. This is this is nothing like anything he or anyone else has ever done before. Being president of these United States is not like being the CEO of a company which bears your name, where you took daddy's seed money and then built it into a massive empire in your own image by your own hand. And you can call any shot you want whenever you want instantly. But see, CEOs can't coin money, gentlemen. CEOs can't raise an army. CEOs can't compel you to do something lawfully or unlawfully against your will. Presidents can Well, Steve, he's a big celebrity. There's being a big celebrity. And then there's being the most visible homo sapien on planet Earth. Not the same. Now, that does not mean that that, that Trump doesn't need to be more presidential. 60% of Americans were disappointed in voting for him. Almost that many said they were, quote, scared or frightened about what he would do. (laughs) All right. So um, he needs to be more presidential. But I think what was one of the lessons we learned from 2016, gentlemen? All terms must be defined at all times. Right. See, presidential doesn't mean what you think it means. I mean, when you guys hear me say presidential, that Trump needs to be more presidential, you probably think, what, more decorum, more of a a, a meeker, commanding presence. That is what I mean. But when the people inside the 202 say that Trump needs to be more presidential, is that what they mean? No. (laughs) No. No, I... I do, more self I mean I mean when 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 average folks say you got to be more presidential they really just mean be more self aware right make sure you are be more self aware of the stick you're swinging 24/7 365 but when the system says to Mr. Trump you need to be more presidential it means something completely different and I think The people sent us a lesson in this election that that something different that the system defines as presidential is exactly what they don't want. And we'll talk about that later.
listening to Steve Dace. Bruce Jenner's favorite program. Call me Caitlin. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on a Worldview Wednesday. Lessons the electorate taught us in 2016. What they teach us about how they voted for president? That's part one of this new series that we're going to carry on here as we close out what is left of this year. See, when the system comes to somebody like Donald Trump and says, we want you to be more presidential. When we say it, it means take his Twitter account away. Be more self-aware. Retire the reality st- reality show shtick, sh- uh, and 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 you know be more like the guy that walks into boardrooms and closes deals with the shycoms and for Scottish golf courses. That's what we think it means, right? That's what we're saying. That's not what they're saying in the two hundred two. There, it means ingratiating yourself in their subculture, being welcomed into Washington's high society. It means maintaining the status quo. Anything outside the status quo of Washington is considered quote. Extreme. It means you allow the media, your political opponents, they set the agenda. You as a Republican are content with their table scraps, and that's after you evolve. See, that has become progressive light. Now, I'm sure Trump has people telling him, hey, you didn't win the popular vote. That's true. Basically, Trump didn't win California. When this is all said and done, that's going to be most of his popular vote loss. The People's Republic of California. Yes, it's true he has record high unfavorables as a new president. But he could largely rectify that by being more self-aware. Being more real presidential, not fake. So sure, the way he communicates, carries himself... The way he relates to others, that's going to be that's going to require a more smooth and savvy Trump than the one we see at his rallies. And I, I mean, there, there's been stories that, that Trump wants to continue. I hope those aren't true. That'd be a terrible idea. It's just to have him up there as a president riffing for an hour in front of a crowd. It'd be funny the first time. And then no. That's why I think what the electorate is saying to Donald Trump is to be Donald Trump. To be Donald Trump. Yeah. Act your age, more often not your shoe size. But in the end, we wanted to elect someone that was going to look, that was going to sound like Denzel at the end of, at the end of training day. King Kong ain't got nothing on me. That's why I think the early returns, I said at the top of the show tonight, are positive. Kicking the lobbyists out. Kicking Chris Christie out. Those are good developments, don't you think? I think so. Saying, hey, if you want to join the administration, you've got to sign off on a, four, a five-year moratorium uh, of, of becoming a lobbyist after you leave. Whether we fire you or you quit or you stay here for however long we're here. Those are good signs. The reservations about Bannon notwithstanding, and they are real, and they are 
fairly spectacular. The fact that Trump stood with Bannon when the media tried to make the first day of his transition team on Monday, Bannon, it's Bannon's world and the rest of us are still living in it. Again, positive development. I think Trump needs to make sure he does a good job of listening to his advisors. But he needs to surround himself with good ones. Not just people that are that he sees as loyal because they said something nice to him or they shill. I think he's got to find some contrarian voices in there. Somebody that can remind him that he goes number two like everybody else does. Because it's a thin line between standing up to the system and putting yourself in a bunker where you're never wrong. I know I often can't tell the difference in my own life. So I understand this challenge very uniquely. I get this one. I think the people believe that it's not about whether he builds an actual wall. Whether the wall is made of concrete or it's a virtual wall. But I think the pe- I think the people that elected him believe he will at least act on the things that he said and spoke about. To do so though is going to probably require an example. One that I'm sure Donald Trump will get from pop culture history. We'll talk about that next. Listening to Steve Dace. Drain the swamp, the Steve Day Show. All right, back here on a Worldview Wednesday. Here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So here's Donald Trump's ultimate chance to build a legacy far beyond skyscrapers which bear his name. He's got a chance to shape a country. I think to do it, he's going to have to pull a Fonzie. Remember when Fonzie used to say, would you like to step into my office? How often, Todd, did anybody step into Fonzie's office? Never. Yeah, they thought twice. Yeah, because he did it once. Like in the very first season, somebody stepped into Fonzie's office. Nobody ever stepped into Fonzie's office ever again. There will be a time, and I don't just mean on the things about Trump that that, that worry us, like his ties to Putin. We want the Republicans to rate him in on those things, right? I'm talking about on the things about Trump that people want him to unleash the hounds. Like if he if let's say he wanted something in legislatively that put tighter restrictions on ethics violations and lobbying efforts when you leave office along the lines of what's going to be his administrative policy that was announced today. And then Capitol Hill says, well, that's we can't do that. That's not the way things are done. 
at some point, if Trump's going to be the president, that those of you that bought into this believe he's going to be, it's going to have to make an example out of somebody. It's going to have to get his hands dirty in their primary. It's going to have to... He's going to have to go after him via the bully pulpit of the presidency. And the only time we saw, the only thing we really didn't see Trump do, the only time I can think of in the, in the, in the primary that we saw him back down is when he tried to do this with Paul Ryan. Remember. And then he backed down, went and did an event in Green Bay where Paul Ryan had that uh, AstroTurf fake primary challenger who raised $800,000, which is a huge amount of money, to get like nine or 19% of the vote or something, <laughs> okay? Um, and he went out there and did an event, and he endorsed Paul Ryan when Ryan refused to even come to his event. You guys remember this? I do. During the, during the yeah. summer? That was the only time we've seen Trump back down is when? Faced with an intra-party fight against the machine of the Republican Party. It was the only time. Can you think of another time he's backed down on anything, primary or general, that he didn't double down, that he didn't triple down? Can you think of a time, any other time? I cannot. I think defunding Planned Parenthood, but... Uh... Flip-flopping on issues isn't the same as backing down. Okay, gotcha. That's that's a state of being. Right. Uh, okay, I mean, that's, yes. I mean, that's gravity, you know? No, I'm talking about when he picked a fight... The only time I can think of the fact that he tucked his tail between his legs was what happened in that Wisconsin primary with Paul Ryan. Well, understand that the early signs you're seeing that even a never-Trumper like me is saying, I'm, I, I'm fine promising, the kicking out of the lobbyists, the moratoriums on the lobbyists, turn it, the, this is turning over the money changers kind of stuff. The minute he attempts to do that on their side of the street, they are not going to just say, well, you know, all these years we've been waiting for someone to come along and remind us we have to shut down our own gravy train. I mean, guys, today they were arguing about whether to bring back earmarks. That was the big argument today. Just today. So, I mean, imagine you're the average American watching the news. And you're not involved in this all the time like the rest of us are. And your split screen is Republicans in the Congress debating about whether to bring back pork barrel spending, looming Republican-elect president of the United States throws lobbyists out of Trump Tower on his transition team. And Congress just passed a concrete tax. Yeah, they passed a concrete tax. You're probably thinking to yourself... No wonder these people hate Trump. At some point, to deliver on what you sent him there to do, he's going to have to run afoul of this. He's going to run right into the dynamic he ran into with Paul Ryan in Wisconsin. Now, I may not be Paul Ryan this time. My understanding is Ryan was the hero on earmarks today, that it was McConnell in the Senate that wanted to do this, and Ryan was the guy that said, hey, we're not going to do this in the House. And why does that matter? Because all appropriations begin where? In the House. So, I mean, the Senate can do whatever they want to do, but if they don't get any money appropriated to it, nothing happens. Except Obamacare. 
<laughs> Although I also think that that even though Ryan may have been may have been the hero on earmarks, I think he was the villain on the concrete task attacks. Mm-hmm. That's his, right, Aaron? Yep. I believe. So at some point, Mr. Trump's going to face this again. If he's going to do what you sent him there to do, to turn over these money changers, he's going to need to make an example out of somebody. Somebody has to get Fonzied. This is not an this is a leveraged based industry. It's not an access based industry. It's a leverage based industry. At some point he's going to have to show them I have the leverage to take you out if you don't do what the regular people of this country elected me to do. And that will be the moment. And they all face this. They all face a moment where, where we sent them there to tear down the money changers. And once they're there, they think, but you know what? Maybe I can outsmart these people and work with them instead. They've all faced this. I know your hope is because he's a built-in billionaire, he doesn't need these people, that he won't be faced with that same temptation, but he faced it in Wisconsin a few months ago, and he failed. So is he willing to Fonzie them? Someone has to be made to feel pain. Not for defying him, because you don't want to feed Trump's ego like that. For defying you. I think that will be the test of his presidency beyond just the moral issues that his character brings to the table every day. You're listening to Steve Dace. Rules for Patriots, the Steve Day Show. So we've come to the end of tonight's Worldview Wednesday. Lessons to learn from 2016. Part one. Lessons the electorate taught us about what they want to see in the next president of the United States. What you guys learn from this conversation? I think your analysis that uh, the big test of uh, Donald Trump's presidency is um, is when it comes time where he's going to have to cross blades with the machinery of the Republican Party, his own party. What's he going to do? I think that's I think your analysis where that comes to is spot on. But there is a difference that might give us uh, a little bit of hope. Maybe. There's a difference between what happened in that dynamic in Wisconsin with him and Paul Ryan and uh, where he is now. Because when that happened, he was what? He was candidate Trump. Mm -hmm. Now he is president-elect Trump. Mm -hmm. He has power now where he didn't before. He kind of needed them back then. Right now, he doesn't owe anybody a darn thing. Now, is he actually going to realize that? Is that going to come to some sort of fruition as a win for the people who uh, sent him? Uh, to the office of the presidency, well, again, as you said, that will remain to be seen. That's exactly right, Aaron. But what if they come back to him and say, but you know, we're going to probably have to maybe overlook that lobbying ban if you want that uh, daycare program that your daughter's so hyped up about to be a part of your legacy. We'll see how big of a man he actually is yeah, and how big of a dude he actually is. They will, Todd, don't you think they will absolutely put him in those positions? Absolutely they will, don't you think? 
They've done it with everybody else. Why wouldn't they try it with him? Because it's worked with everybody else, too. So you, 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 yeah, don't you yeah. keep asking the kid for his lunch money until one day he punches you in the mouth, right? You ask him every single day until he hits you for it, right? Yeah, and with Trump, the simple fact of the matter is that for him to do what he, what you're suggesting, two things need to at least be partially true. It has to be a movement, and he has to be well, good at it. you've been telling it. me all this time it's, it's a, a movement, movement. And it's not. <laughs> this isn't a movement. The left was just far more broken than we thought it were. Remember, Donald Trump got 2 million fewer votes than Romney, not 2 million more votes. This is... It, and he's and he's not good at this as well. I mean, just sitting there and 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 acting like you're the you know tough uh, seventh grader on the playground is not going to uh, work in terms of ultimately moving legislation. So it's, something has fundamentally got to change. If he's got to create a movement, he doesn't have one right now. I don't. I think he absolutely has a movement. The question is, how potent is it? And I think that, I, I think the, the, the willingness of the folks in, in, in the audience like this to hold him accountable to his promises. Because I don't think people like us can. I don't think Republicans can. I don't think the media can. I don't think he cares about any of that. But I do think he cares about those people that got him here, that, that came to those rallies. I do think he cares about them. And I think a lot of his his willingness to stay true to their print to those promises is going to be up to them to hold them to him. I think John three seventeen. You're listening to Steve Dace. 